You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season seven, episode six, The Discipline of Inspiration. Inspiration is the magical yet elusive influence that invigorates an artist to create. It isn't something we can muster up at will or force to bend to our own agendas. Inspiration comes and goes as it wishes. We don't always know where it will show up or when it will appear next, but when it does, everything illuminates. Insights appear out of nowhere. The veil of the ordinary is pulled back and we catch a glimpse of the world in a way we haven't seen before. Common materials rise from the dust and take on a life and language of their own. Under the influence of inspiration, the artist produces works that often exceed our natural abilities. We may even surprise ourselves at what comes out of us or at what potential we discover in materials and ideas we've had lying around unnoticed. But what if receiving inspiration is not a matter of waiting for goosebumps to appear before doing the hard work of creating? What if inspiration is more of a discipline than a lightning bolt of ideas? Back in October, I traveled to New York City for a live Makers and Mystics event where I discussed these ideas with author and community leader Carrie Wallace. Carrie Wallace is the author of Stories of the Saints, The Blind Contessa's New Machine, The Ghost in the Glass House, and the forthcoming Discipline of Inspiration. Her work has appeared in Time Magazine, Detroit's Metro Times, and many other notable publications. Carrie has spoken to students at Princeton, Yale, Juilliard, Emory's Candler School of Theology, as well as the Festival of Faith and Writing, and she's taught at the Glenn Workshop. Carrie is the founder of the Working Artists Initiative, which helps emerging artists establish strong creative habits. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode for Carrie's full biography and for links to further connect with her work. Thank you for listening. This is my conversation with Carrie Wallace, live from New York City on the Discipline of Inspiration. Well, we're going to continue with our conversation tonight on investigations and inspiration. And I have the privilege of introducing the wonderful Carrie Wallace. What I read from your website, Carrie, is that you're a writer who's interested in the outer limits of what's possible in this world. All the things that are so strange or beautiful, they feel like magic, even though they're real. And so I'm curious to ask you, how did you get interested in inspiration? Um, so I got interested in inspiration because I had been, I was actually wondering what artists really need because I was watching people create programs for artists and listening to artists talk about what they needed. And it felt to me like a lot of what was being offered to artists was not actually that useful. Like they were being offered to like leave their home and go on residencies when in fact they just needed somebody to pay their rent for a few months. And, um, and, <laughs> and, uh, and when I listened to them talk about what they wanted, they were like, I just, I just want to make it. I want somebody to give me a show or like publish my book. And, I, and, and as I thought about it, I was like, I actually think what you really want when it comes down to it is you want the room to create 
right? Like most people actually are not itching to be famous. Like most people are just like, can somebody please give me two hours a day to do, or like three months straight to do what I was built to do. So I started thinking about how can I help artists get that for free? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm also very interested in habit. So I created a program which actually um, Wayne Adams is part of in the very beginning, um, who's here tonight, um, called the Working Artist Initiative. And the idea was that if we could form groups where we helped each other establish a habit of art making in daily life, like you don't have to go out in the woods and have somebody delivering fresh eggs to your door <laughs> to create, but you can that make this even if that. you have kids, it happens. I'm, I'm actually name checking. I'm, I'm casting aspersions on a very famous writing program. Um, so, so the idea was to get artists together and help them create a lasting habit. You know, allegedly you can create a habit in 30 days. It was, a, it was actually a six month program. And I thought, actually that program, we've now totally jettisoned the um, curriculum that I wrote for it, but I thought initially that we needed something more than habit formation, we needed a curriculum. So I, I, I was tired of the books that were written, most of the like texts on like how to be artists were written by artists who I didn't want to be like that artist. I was like, you're not good enough, I want to know what Rembrandt said, you know? <laughs> like, um, so, so I did this giant survey of like everything, all the speech I could find by artists on art in all genres. So I was reading like Martha Graham and dance and books by about songwriting um, by songwriters, Rolling Stone articles, Paris Review articles, you know, like, and, um, and I was interested in like a several vast categories, like the character of the artist, do you have to be a jerk? Um, the life of an artist, do you have to be unhappy? The purpose of art, the definition of art, anything that was said about the artist's spiritual experience and the moment of inspiration, what I, you know, the moment of like, when do you get this idea? And what I found was like a very depressing amount of like, just like gossip and backbiting among the world's greatest artists. So like hilarious, and actually I can't remember any of the actual quotes, but it was stuff like Handel being like, oh Bach, what a hack, you know? There's like a whole bunch of this stuff. It's like hilarious in retrospect. Um, and then total disagreement on these major categories, like what is art for? What is art? like? Diametric opposition, like from major names who like nobody else could argue with because we're not them. But what I found was this very strange, like total agreement about the moment of inspiration. And again and again, people talked about it as being something that came from beyond them, something that spoke things that they were not smart enough to come up with, something that if they didn't catch it, somebody else was going to catch it. So Arlo Guthrie says, um, songwriting is like fishing in a stream, but I don't think that anyone who ever fished downstream from Bob Dylan ever caught anything, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but you, yes. get, <laughs> you get Ernest Hemingway says, um, when I read the things that I've written, and some of you who are artists may have had this experience, like when I look at what I've made, I can't believe I wrote it. I think I must have read it somewhere, probably in the Saturday Evening Post, you know. Yeah. And Hoagie Carmichael, who wrote Stardust and George on My Mind, says great melodies aren't written, they're discovered. And Michael Jackson actually, like, right before he died, was feverishly recording and about to go on tour. He was supposed to go out on tour before he passed. And he kept saying, uh, my higher power is giving me these songs. And his entourage was like, Michael, can you get your higher power to give you these songs after the tour? And he said, I can't. Then he might give them to Prince. So. Well, my next question for you on that then is how would you define inspiration? 
So, so I get it inspiration in a number of ways. One of the things I like to observe is that I think inspiration is one of these words in the language that is almost as abused as the word love in terms of people meaning very different things when they say it. So, you know, you hear people say, I actually just saw a travel ad for like a family of four to go get inspired on like some desert island. And um, you see, you know, corporate signs saying, you know, that you should be, you know, inspiration with the like the waves. But you also hear one of the things that you hear constantly as an artist is where did you get the inspiration for that? Right. Which is a totally different meaning. You also hear people say things like I was inspired by my parents, which is a much different use than where. And, and Vesper actually today was saying I'm inspired by this story, which is maybe a way of saying I'm this is what I'm thinking about. Right. This is what the don't let me put words in your mouth. But 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 sometimes people, when they're saying that, are like, "This is, this is my you know my intellectual or my heart pursuit right now." But you know, listening to what these artists are saying about it, when I use the word, I mean a, a very isolated thing, um, and I see it as one of three major parts in creation: talent, technique, and inspiration. Um, and I think in general, we are identifying artists because they have talent, right? They're the little kid who like draws the cat that looks most like the cat of <laughs> any kid in the class, or the kid who can sing in tune better than any of the other kids to begin with. And then we train people in technique, which is how long do you spend doing scales, or how long do you spend at a drawing board, or how long do you spend learning to write a sentence? But if you spend any time in the art world, you know that people with lots of talent, and actually tons of technique, can produce things that are just totally uninteresting to just about everybody. And there, I think that, that the third element that's required is what lights that up and tells you um, how to sing, what to sing. Like, and, and I also think that inspiration by itself, without talent or technique, is actually really compelling when you see it. So I started thinking about what would it mean to, to just believe these artists, like in, um, instead of sort of taking refuge in neuroscience or all the places that we could like dodge the idea that this is some sort of like divine thing from beyond, what would it mean to, to actually believe them? And so the conclusion that I have come to is that inspiration is actually the perpetual inbreaking of God into the world through artists and that it's a continuation, a constant continuation of the original creation. That's amazing. So then let me ask you, how does it change things to believe that inspiration is something that comes from God? So I think, um, I think this does a huge number of things. And I just want to touch on a couple of them. And, um, and, and I actually have spent time talking about this idea with people, and people have significant objections to it. But I think the usefulness of it, one of the major things it does, and I think one of the reasons that the Greeks sort of invented this idea of the muse, which describes what's happening but also has some useful outcomes, is that it takes the pressure off of us, right? It's no longer, am I good enough? Am I ever going to have another idea again? Like, it's coming from something beyond us so we can kind of relax. I think it, it also has a usefulness in, like, people who don't want to be blamed for their art <laughs> can be like it wasn't me it was the muse right like so there's sort of a usefulness there i think 
the secular world has this idea and, and understands that usefulness of it. But I think the problem with the idea of the muse that's unmoored in anything but muse is what is the muse there for? Like, what, what, how does the muse feel about you? Like, what does it want from you? What is it willing to do to you in order to get its art into the world, right? Like, what is the personality of this muse exactly? And I think, you know, your resentment of it, I, I've actually wondered, is this thing trying to kill me, right? Like, I, and I think I'm probably not the only artist who feels that way, right? So to anchor the muse in the identity of a god who is interested in you as a whole person, um, who is fundamentally loving and has your best interests in mind, I think for me was a major shift in the way to think about where these ideas are coming from and what they might do to me. It does really interesting things for the purpose and the definition of art. So, and this we could spend another like several evenings on, but the conclusion I've come to is that when we start arguing about what, what is the purpose and the definition of art, I think that especially in a church world or worlds of faith where people sometimes are trying to use art as propaganda or use art in support of some kind of worldview, I've always sort of felt that that was fundamentally obscene mm -hmm. um, and, and struggled with that because I do have a faith background and like do feel like things should be made in praise of God and like, but I think when you, if you believe that the inspiration from, comes from God, then I think that all art comes from God and that's art's only purpose and its only definition. So asking questions like, what is this art for, becomes the same as asking, what is a human for, or what is God for? They're like fundamentally nonsense, obscene questions, right? Um, so that, you know, we could tease that out for a long time. But um, the final thing that I think is really important about it is it tells us where to go to get more inspiration. And we have very little teaching on that, right? We have lots of teaching on how to draw a straight line, lots of teaching on how to, um, you know, know who the greats were and imitate them or avoid imitating them, right? But very little information on how do we bring more of this into our lives and, and what information we have is passed in secret. Like people are like, I, I go for a walk when I get stuck, right? You know, like they get, it's never taught formally, but I think it can actually be approached rigorously and that's what I've been trying to do, so. That's wonderful, that's awesome. Well then I, I wanna ask you one last question and it's one that we've asked all of our guests here tonight and it's simply this, because we're in a room full of artists uh, and I've met many of you guys tonight as we've just been hanging out, doing incredible work. Uh, but I think something that we all enjoy, at least I know for me, I love those moments of inspiration where it seems like time is suspended and I enter into this otherworldly place or this encounter with God or this experience where I know that something is, something is going on beyond myself. Mm -hmm. uh, how do we position ourselves to experience that more? Or is there, are there practices that you have discovered that can position us in such a way that attracts inspiration or that, that puts us in a place to be able to receive more of that? Yeah. Um, so when I started thinking about this, I, I was like, okay, so if the job is to let something bigger than yourself come through you, then the fundamental gesture here has to be a gesture of surrender. Um, and, and when I started thinking about it, I was like, so what, 
has helped me in life to surrender. And basically nothing <laughs> in modern <laughs> life helps you to surrender, especially if you are like somebody who wants to achieve something in life, especially if you're somebody who wants to like build something, something that nobody else wants you to build and like nobody else is asking for and like nobody's gonna pay attention to when it's done. So, um, so, so I was like, what, you know, where, where have I found this? And I realized that my spiritual practices as a Christian were the only things that I had done that had opened me up to something larger than myself, but that all of my Christian practices had been devoted to that. And um, so what I've come to believe is that the vast majority of human wisdom on how to make this gesture of surrender to the muse, to God, is contained in the spiritual disciplines. Um, and that there's an enormous amount of meat in thinking of what rest has to do with creation, how that opens us up to surrender, what manual labor has to do, and how much manual labor is actually built into creation, right? Like gessoing your canvas or setting up your, you know, and what that has to do with opening us up and putting us into a space where we can create, um, you know, prayer, silence, community, which is a huge part of what you were talking about, like how other people make space for us to be able to surrender, give us a space, safe space to surrender. So I've been playing with going through those disciplines sort of one by one and thinking about how those can operate as artistic disciplines. And actually a woman who is here a little bit earlier who has had to leave sadly is an opera singer who grew up uh, with a set of spiritual disciplines that were so kind of like onerous to her that, that when they were framed in the context of, of a faith practice, they didn't work for her anymore. And it was actually, her experience was that her spiritual practice as an artist was what drew her back into spirituality itself um, and an ability to be able to sort of tolerate and gain from the spiritual disciplines, which she now teaches to all kinds of other people. Um, so I see art itself as a spiritual discipline and all of the spiritual disciplines as supporting art. It's beautiful. Can we all give a round of applause to Carrie Wallace? Thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Makers and Mystics and our community page at The Breath and the Clay. If this was your first time listening to the show, thanks for spending your time with us. I would like to invite you to explore our library of over 100 episodes on the relationship between the spiritual and the creative. A special thanks goes out to our patrons and supporters who make these conversations possible. If you'd like to join our creative collective and become a monthly patron of Makers and Mystics, please visit patreon.com makersandmystics or see the show notes of this episode. We'll see you again next week, and until then, keep creating. The world needs your art. <laughs>